Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. I need you to open your Bibles to two passages, Genesis chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 11. We'll begin in Genesis in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church. We're glad you're with us this morning. I'd like to catch those of you that have been traveling on vacation up to where we are in this series, so if we proceed today, you know where we've been. Uh, we began a few weeks ago talking about Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great chapter of faith. It gives a working definition with examples from Old Testament uh, lives of what faith is. And I want you to know that what we're going to be doing is identifying from these Old Testament representations of faith the different pieces that we'll build together. In other words, we're going to take from each one of the stories that were told and by the end of this be able to understand what faith is day in and day out and how it strengthens us. Uh, we began in the very first week to say that all of us have faith in something. And that faith can be, for instance, if you drove to church today, you placed your faith in the design and the engineers that put your vehicle together. You placed faith that they know what they're doing and that they could deliver you safely. If you eat today, you're placing faith where you get your food that has been prepared safely that you won't be harmed, that you'll be taken care of. So we all know how to live by faith. What do we place our faith in? Now, biblical faith, by definition, is believing that God is good and that God keeps his promises. It's this covenant relationship that we're entering into this real relationship with a God who's good, who cares about us, who desires our best, and also that, that God can be trusted, that every promise he makes is, is valid. We began by looking in week two at Abel, one of the sons of Adam and Eve. And Abel was a man who took from what he had and he offered it as a sacrifice to God to please God and to honor God for caring for him. So faith sacrifices. In week three, we looked at the story last week of the story of a man named Enoch, who's known as having walked with God. And that term walking with God means pleases God, draws close to God. And God finds great pleasure when we draw close to him, not just living an independent life and running back to him when we need something, but engaging God and being involved with him and, and having this intimacy that we spoke of last week. Today we're going to talk about a, a man named Noah. And as we proceed to Noah's story, most of you know the story of Noah and the ark. But I, I want to be really clear as I begin this morning. I'm not going to talk to you a ton about the ark and how it was made and how big it was and the different floors in it and how could all the animals exist on it. That all is important for another day, but not today. Because I want to talk to you about the man who built the ark. Now, I know this sounds really silly for me to say it, but I want to be honest with you. If you don't spend time talking about the man who built the ark, understanding what the ark was makes no difference. Because if the man who built the ark didn't build the ark, we wouldn't have an ark to talk about. I want to talk about the faith of the man who obeyed God and trusted him. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. This is the first time anybody in the Bible is called righteous. And righteousness does not mean perfect. Righteous does not mean without flaw or a superhero kind of guy. Righteous means he's right with God and right with man. 
He was the sinner who had made himself right with God by accepting what God offered him for forgiveness, and he was right with other people. He treated people well, he loved other people, and he honored other people. That's what it means to be righteous. That is our pursuit in life, that the righteous will live by faith. He was a righteous man, blameless among people, and he walked with God. He was right with man, he was right with God, so he was considered righteous. And he's kind of a combination of Abel and Enoch. He was a man who sacrificed and made himself right with God, and he was a man who walked with God so that he was right with others. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is tell you three things about Noah, about the man, and what his faith is demonstrated as found in Ephesians, or excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll be bouncing back and forth between Hebrews to show you what it says about him there, and then I'll take you back to Genesis 6, where we'll talk about the specifics, which is found in Genesis 6 through 9, is the story of Noah and the ark. Let's begin with our first point today. Noah's faith is valid because he responded to God's word. He responded to God's word. He heard what God said, and he believed it. Now, there are some people who say faith is just something that you do, and I have faith, and it doesn't require anything of me. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not biblical. It, it would be awesome and easy for us to simply say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then do nothing with it the rest of our lives. And if you believe that that is faith, then you have not read your scriptures clearly, and you've not been instructed properly. And I don't say this to shame anybody, but to awaken us. Faith always responds Faith always reacts. There are actions of faith found throughout Scripture. I could show you if you were interested. We taught a class on it several or two years ago on Wednesday nights that there are at least 18 different imperative verbs to demonstrate faith. There are 18 things in the Bible that we do if we have faith. Faith responds. Now, we don't work so we're saved. We work because we're saved. We work to honor God. We work to serve God. We work to strengthen ourselves. This is what we're talking about when we identify what it means to be full of faith. In Hebrews eleven seven, it says about Noah, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. It's interesting there in verse 7 that it says, Because of his faith, he obeyed and worked. He built. He responded. He reacted. So I don't want any of us to think that if you had a historic moment in your life 25 years ago where you said, I believe Jesus is God's living son, that that faith which opened you up to the work of Christ is sufficient, is life, is hope, is still alive and active. There's a response to faith that we strengthen each and every day. And here's what I want to talk to you about when I talk to you about Noah. The task that he was given to build an ark, it's interesting, it says, he, when he was warned about things not yet seen. If you remember in verse 1 of Hebrews 11, it says that faith is sure of what is hoped for and certain of things not seen. I wonder what Noah thought of when God said he's going to flood the earth. Had Noah ever seen a flood before? Did he understand the concept? Did he have any frame of reference? Now, if you do research on this, and you go back through commentaries and rabbinical teaching and so forth, as I'm apt to do to prepare for these messages, there's a lot of discussion as to whether there was any rain ever where Noah lived, and I tend to believe there had to have been. If there were going to be trees big enough to cut down to build an ark, chances are rain came occasionally. But whether there's a lot of rain, I've read anywhere from 16 to 20 inches of rain is possible there annually, 
I still don't know that Noah knows what a flood is, but here's what I do know about Noah. Whether he knew what a flood was or not, he built a boat. Church, are you with me? It's a pretty simple fact, but I want you to understand what I'm talking to you about this morning. Whether he understood everything God asked him to do, he was not unclear about what he was asked to do. I think it's important for us in the world in which we live, and little did I know last August when we designed this series for this summer, little did I have any idea that we would have such a dramatic change in our culture this summer when it was now decided that regardless of what the Bible clearly says, it no longer means that. You see, we have to be really, really careful. It has never been a question of whether God meant what he said. It's only been a question of whether or not we still think it's relevant. And Noah was a man who, whether he understood it completely or not, believed when God spoke. And he responded. For 100 years, he waited. Over 100 years, he waited and worked. Waited and worked. Waited and worked. 100 years. If I have to wait 100 minutes, I begin to sweat. And he waited 100. I don't know if I could wait 100 days. But he waited 100 years. And he was faithful, and he worked. And he did what God asked him to do because he believed that God's words were true. Remember, faith is premised on whether or not we think God is for us and whether or not we think he can be trusted. And Noah gives us an example of obedience that responds by faith. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said, The time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Notice that repentance is a response to our belief. It's not just believing, but it's responding, it's repenting, it's changing, it's working, it's efforting. Not to be saved, but in response to the opportunity. In Genesis 6.14, God says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Difficult. Frustrating. Requires a large amount of dedication. I'm a city kid. If I had to build something, my family would suffer the elements. And let's just put it that way. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm the, son of, I'm the son of a son of a carpenter. My grandfather was a carpenter. Both of my grandfathers were. My dad is a son of a carpenter. My dad can do about anything. I, I remember one time as a kid sitting in the family room, and my mom said, it'd be nice if we had a door there. My dad went to the garage, came in, blew up the drywall, cut a door that night, Finished it in the morning. We had a door in there because the woman wanted it. That's pretty impressive. If Heather said to me, we want a door there, I'm going to say, yeah, you better call Home Pro or somebody because I got no clue. I'd kill us all. So I don't know how to build anything, but I do know this. When God told Noah to build an ark, there was no Home Depot and no Lowe's. You couldn't get online and look up how to build an ark. There were no two-by-fours. So I I want you to stop and take yourself out of 2015 and transfer yourself back to this day and age where Noah had to say, what's a two-by-four? And God showed him a big tree and said, in the middle of it's a two-by-four. And he had to drop the trees, and he had to plane the wood, and he had to cure the wood, and he had to shape the wood, and he had to affix the wood. Are you with me, church? I, I can go on for an hour, but I don't need to if you're with me. To build the ark meant he started from scratch. That's why it took him a hundred years. And he waited and he worked. And he waited and he worked. And it was frustrating and it was hard and it was not easy. Nowhere in scripture does it say God dropped the entire, all the materials he needed, delivered to his place, and all he had to do was put it together. He had to create the material as given to him by God. He had to work hard. And the entire time, don't you think for a moment, he wondered, what's a flood? 
If you had to work that hard for over 100 years, wouldn't you want to raise your hand occasionally and go, what's a flood for the love? I'm worn out here, and you're asking me to build something. What is this flood? But he didn't. The Bible says, because he knew who God was, he believed that God's promises were true, he built the ark. So what's the ark metaphorically for you? That thing that God's asked you to do, that you're not sure why you have to. It's hard. It's frustrating. What's your ark? Because I want you to notice something about the ark that amazes me. Not only did he not have the materials, and not only did he have to get his instructions directly from God, but I want you to know if you pay attention to the design of the boat, there's no rudder, no power, and no sail. He built a coffin. And he walked into that coffin... And he had to trust that not only did he build something for a flood he didn't know about, but he also had to build a boat that he was not in control of. Have you ever noticed that about God? Isn't that consistent? When God calls you to something great, he doesn't give you the steering wheel. He just says, get in on this, and I'll take you where I need to take you. And you say, yeah, but how will we get there? Just get in. Noah walked into this big floating coffin, trusting that God would deliver him from the death that was coming to the new life that would be on the other side. Genesis 6:17. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. Can you imagine what Noah endured while building that? The questions, the comments, the snide res- responses. Yet what did he do? He built an ark. He built exactly what God asked him to. He obeyed by faith. Verse 18. God says, I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Covenant. It's a relationship. It's an agreement. God says, based on your and my relationship, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to give you the means by which I'll deliver you. And if you trust me, like I'm blessing you in this covenant, if you will do for me what I'm asking and what I'm going to do for you, if you will get in the ark, I will deliver you and your family. It takes obedience. It takes effort. It takes hard work. And it takes trust. It's all about the relationship. Because in verse 8 it says that Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of God. Which is fascinating. You see, it pleased the Lord that Noah wanted to please the Lord. You thought about that? It pleases God that you want to please God. It pleased God that Abel offered a sacrifice. It pleased God that Enoch wanted to draw close to him. And it pleased God that Noah would obey and respond. God derives pleasure from us wanting to please him. And notice I said to please him, not to just give in, not to cry uncle, or not to throw ourselves in the ground and say, you're such a big, mighty God that if I don't do what you want, you're going to kill me. No, God says, I want you to do it because you love me. And as parents, don't every single one of us understand that. I can make my children obey, but I'm waiting for the day they want to. And when they do, our relationship will change, won't it? It'll go from me having to dominate them to me walking with them. And having one son, 21, and one son about to be 11, one of them's there and the other, oh my goodness. Pray for me. It pleases the Lord that Noah wanted to please the Lord. It's faith. Verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him because he revered the word of God. The question is not whether God's been clear. The question for every one of us is, do his words still ring relevant to us today? And by faith, 
we must respond. And what I love about uh, Noah in this story is Noah believed that God would judge and Noah believed that God would save. Let me explain why that's important. Because what it teaches us is that Noah did not pick and choose which one of God's words he believed. He believed them all. He believed the same God that would save meant that that God would judge. And so he trusted. He didn't pick or choose which passages of God's teaching that were fitting for him. He chose all of them. So we know that Noah's faith was valid because he believed the words of God. And secondly, Noah's faith is valid because his obedience rebuked the world. I don't like this part, but I can't preach through Hebrews 11 and leave this out. It's just not, I can't do it. It's not fair. It's not reasonable. You either preach the whole counsel of God or don't preach it at all. And in this passage, verse 7, it says, By his faith he condemned the world. I don't want to be a part of a movement that condemns. Let's be crystal clear. Even regarding my point a little bit earlier about whether or not we want to believe that God's words are relevant for today, here's the truth of all of this, is that we are, we are not a people that are meant to condemn people. We're to love every single person and warn them of the poison that will kill their soul sin. We're to love every single person and believe that they're redeemable and to believe that they can be saved by the mercy of God. Are you with me, church? Every person is worth fighting for, not fighting against. Every person is worth fighting for. But every person needs to understand that sin is a poison that stains and kills your soul, and without the redemption and forgiveness of Christ's blood, all of us will face the judgment of God. So we fight for them, not against them. So when I see this passage where I have to say, by faith he condemned the world, I want you to understand what that means. When you show the light, the darkness will fight. When we stand for something, those that don't stand with us will try to drop us to our knees. So we must, by the way we live, offer them hope and grace, but be fully aware that not everyone will appreciate it because if we stand up and say something is right, then that means by definition something is wrong. And we live in a world today that how dare you say anything's wrong? We must, because the word of God is true. It, the word of God is true. If none of you responded, the word of God is true. And we must stand and fight for people, not against them, and realize that the poison that kills all of our souls can only be changed by the blood of Christ. And I love about Noah is Noah preached. And I want to be careful because I don't want to call Noah a preacher. Let me explain why. If I call Noah a preacher, you're going to equate him with what I do. And he was better than that. You see, in our culture, preaching is you give him a microphone, you put him under rotisserie lights, and you have him stand up on Sunday and yell at people. That's what preachers do. That's not what Noah did. I want to redeem the word preaching from the Bible. The word preaching is not event-driven biblically. The word preaching is, let me give you just a simple definition. It's answering the question that our acts of faith produce. I want to say that again. Preaching is answering the questions that our acts of faith produce. In other words, when you were uh, raising your children or you were a child, you were with your parents or with your kids, and one of you did something, and a child would say out loud, Daddy, why do you do that? Mommy, why do you do that? That would be preaching, biblically, would be to answer the questions our acts of faith produce. Noah, what are you building? I'm building a boat. What's a boat? It's going to contain my family when the flood comes. What's a flood? I have no clue. Well, why are you building a boat if you don't know what a flood is? Because my God told me to. He preached. You see, our acts of faith preach. 
Don't be ashamed to answer people why you do what you do for the kingdom. I love what Russell Ball does in our school systems. I love what teachers do in all of our area school systems who say, I want to be there to encourage kids they matter. Not only they matter educationally and socially, but they matter to God. I love that investment. Russell Ball preaches when he looks a child in the eyes and says, you matter, you're important, you're loved, you're worthy. He preaches. You see, preaching is not an event. It's answering the questions that our acts of faith produce and telling people to the glory of God why he is. Second Peter chapter 2, Peter would write these words to the early church. If you want to understand the significance of the statement, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Noah's actions preached that the judgment of God was coming. He preached with his life, and he preached with his words. For 120 years, nobody responded to Noah but his family. But he preached, and every board he cut Every board he planed and every board he nailed up was a statement to the world that I believe that God's words are true and that he is offering us mercy. You see, nobody, be crystal clear on this, nobody drowned because God drowned them. Those that drowned, drowned because they chose judgment over mercy. Does it make sense? You say, well, God just wiped them out and they didn't know. No, for 120 years plus, they were offered a place on that boat. And for 120 years, they chose not to. Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God knew. God said, this world is turning not only against me, but against one another. They're using one another. They're taking everything I've given them and they're, off, and they're just selfishly using it. Genesis 6, 12, again, he says, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. It's really easy in this moment, especially in the culture we live in, is for people to look at this and say, see, God is a wrathful God who's all about smiting. Now, listen to me, church. For 120 years, he called out, repent, for the kingdom of God is available to you. And for 120 years, people chose to be their own God. When that happens... Judgment is coming. If you believe God is good and you believe that God keeps his promises, would you have a God who lied about judgment? No, we have a God who is warning us. He does not want to judge anybody, but he is not a liar. He is true. He is faithful and he's good. You see, God is so slow to judge and so lovingly patient, but he's also not a liar. So when Noah built a boat, he proclaimed that judgment was coming on those who would not get in it. Thirdly, and I'm sorry, let me, let me just take you to Genesis 5.21 if you want to turn there for just a second. When Enoch had lived 65 years, we talked about him last week, he became the father of Methuselah. I want you to see something interesting here. Verse 25. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech, Noah's father. And then he became the father of Lamech. Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. And I told you last week, to kind of whet your appetite for today, that Methuselah either died in the flood or he died in the year of the flood. But what I didn't tell you last week, so you'd come back, is this. Methuselah's name means when he is dead, it will be sent. 
he was named that the judgment of God will come at the death of this man. For 969 years, the world was given the opportunity to acknowledge God and return by faith. And for 969 years, they only dug their graves deeper. And they had prophets like Enoch and prophets like Noah offering them a place on the boat. Genesis 6.3, the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. Matthew 24.37, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. If you read Genesis 6-9 through and you see the descriptors, here's what you'll hear. The world in Noah's day was willful, pride, a proud, unjust, full of depravity, and selfish. Sounds like 2015. And the judgment that came upon Noah's day will come upon our day. Now, I'm preaching to a group of people who know the, how to get on the boat. You, you get on the boat through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Peter would even, in 1 Peter 3.21, he would even equate that our baptism into the water is baptism into the resurrection of Christ to walk new. It was just like the ark. It was the means by which God would take us from this world to the next if we get on the boat, if we trust. Thirdly, Noah's faith is valid because he received God's righteousness. Remember, righteousness is not that Noah was a perfect man. Not that he did everything just right. It wasn't that he was more super spiritual than the rest of us. It wasn't that he had any more insight than the rest of us. Here's the truth. He believed that God was good. He believed that God could be trusted. So he worked for the Lord, even in areas that he didn't fully understand it. Faith is not about how much you comprehend. It's not about how much insight you have. It's about whether you have a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's whether or not you belong to God, that you have accepted his sacrifice for you and you make your life sacrifice for him. It's entering into the ark and being delivered. But Noah got in a boat that didn't have a sail, it didn't have a motor, and it didn't have a rudder. He gave himself to God and trusted not only before the ark, but in the ark, and then in this beautiful moment that the scriptures talk about. You see, I told you that God didn't give him a how to build an ark kit. He didn't have Lowe's delivered on Monday so he could snap it all together. He had to work hard. He had to labor hard. It was frustrating and it was discouraging. And the one thing that I know God helped him with was when the ark was completed, it said that God drove or called the animals into the ark. The one thing that Noah was not going to be able to do was gather all the samples of animals, two by two or sevens of, of different kinds. He brought them all in the ark. But I do know this. When the ark landed, after 370 days from the beginning of the rains until it landed on dry ground, for 370 days, when the ark landed on the top of that mountain, wherever that may have been, Noah came out of the ark and he took some of those animals. I want you to pay attention to this. See, that was the starter kit for all of civilization. His family, those animals, God was going to rebuild the entire earth through them. But Noah believed so much in God that he took from those animals and he offered sacrifices to God of the very important things he needed to do what God asked him to do. He believed in God so much that a God that would rescue his family, he offered him sacrifices and he sacrificed some of those animals to the glory of God as an act of worship. The reason I want you to know this is, if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, is he not worth your everything? When you land on the dry ground after having escaped the wrath and flood of God's judgment, is he not worth everything to you? 
Is there anything that God could ask of you that's too much? I ask you this morning one simple question. In fact, two questions. Is God for you? Then should he not receive from you what he's asked? Build an ark. And then get in the ark. One of the men that I've had the privilege of working with in in my life in ministry who really allowed me to shadow him for a number of years. He was a student at Cincinnati Bible College in the 1940s in the city of Cincinnati. And when he was there, he said there was, uh, they'd have these big town revivals where they'd bring in these big name preachers to preach for two weeks straight. Can you imagine that, folks? Coming to church for 14 consecutive days, it'd kill some of us. And they'd show up each night, and this preacher would preach for an hour and a half to two hours every night, sweating it up and getting people to know the Lord, and they'd really go for it. And he said he remembered one particular preacher who came in, and he had a famous sermon. And it was famous because of the title. The title was, What Happened to Noah's Carpenters? You see, there's no way Noah built that boat by himself. People helped him. But the people that helped him build the boat didn't get in it. I'm not asking you today to believe that if God asked you to build an ark, he already has. What did he ask you to do? Obedience is trusting and making a present substance out of a future reality. It is obeying, building the boat, and then, please, get in it. You know what the Lord's asked of you. Obey it. Respond. Get in the boat and let God deliver you from a life that is going to end to a life that can never be taken from us. It's the promise of faith. Our God is good, and our God can be trusted. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.